So, you know, if you want to be an RTO guy, be an RTO guy and let everybody else worry about everything else become really amazing and align yourself with the right people. And you can do amazing things. You're listening to the right club podcast where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at the right And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation, it is Sarah Larby here. And before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out The Rock yet? Well, that's our Right Club online community. It's a place where you can find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. And we've got interactive forums, all the podcast episodes, hours of videos, a wide range of real estate investing training and education, tons of great information. It's free to join. Be sure to come grow with us at The Right Club com now on with the podcast welcome back right club nation to another episode of the right club podcast fonzel salemi here with my co-host and amazing co-founder sarah larby how are you sarah i'm doing well just uh talking to you recording some podcasts looking at the league view that i've got up here how's uh how are things going with you yeah, really great, really great. Yeah, yeah, you're up in the uh, up at the cottage, got the nice lake view. We're uh, right now while we're recording this is uh, we're in the quarantine, staying home, none of the normal meetings going out and getting together, uh, you know, at right club meetings or even coffee meetings anymore. But uh, but finding new ways to kind of be creative, you know, stretch all different types of muscles, working out at home, uh, working on the mind at home, doing all that kind of stuff, getting out of the norm. How have you been kind of passing some time doing things a little bit differently, adapting? It's a little while now that we've been in this, in this program. So what do you, what, yeah. what are some things? Um, I, w- I will say the first like three weeks I really hated because it was like a big shock to, you know, my <laughs> everything, my whole life. Um, but I'm adapting a lot better. Like I started doing working out stuff like a boot camp that I've joined and yoga classes and I've been working on uh, one of my courses on like tenant screening so it's getting like I find like the like past week has been getting better I definitely think I'm allergic to wine I've overdone it um (laughs) you you put up the barrier so actually I got a question for you do you feel time is going faster or slower in this quarantine time Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I know it's all relative too, to depending on what you're doing, but yeah. in general, like this is what, six, six weeks, seven weeks, apparently, uh, approximately, I should say. I don't know. It feels like it's going fast because it's not like there is anything other than hanging out <laughs> up yeah. here that I'm doing. So okay. it's interesting, but you know, like we haven't had to, by the time this era is, it might be nicer, but like, it hasn't been that warm. So there's only been like a couple days where, you know, we were able to be outside. It's been cold since then. What have you been up to? Yeah, well, exactly. Tr- trying to enjoy outside, getting fresh air, uh, doing those things. But like I said, you know, a little bit more of working out, putting things together for, for JAG and, you know, and some more information for our realtors, for our clients, for, for people that want to learn more about that and taking that time, like sometimes the things that we should have been doing already, but made the excuse of time or tired or commuting and all those types of things. Right. And really finding that extra time. Like I love the no commuting, like 
from the bedroom, the washroom, the kitchen to the office, like no traffic. Sometimes, you know, I got to take a cup back to the sink, but you know, like that it's, it's amazing. Right. Um, and how we develop. And like you said, it's a huge shock at the beginning, right. When we're forced to adapt, right. By either by choice or by force. And at this point here, no one chose that we're going to do all this and stay home. So it's kind of by force in a way, right. From all the precautions and measures. And, you know, we all eventually do adapt and find our ways and, and change somehow. And the things that we're implementing and we're doing now are going to impact us moving way beyond this. So um, yeah, everybody like, yeah, we want to hear from you email. Uh, give us, give us an email or get in contact with us. We want to hear what kind of activities or tasks that you did or what you found that you're still implementing today. Cause like Sarah said, by the time this comes out, we hope uh, we're, we're well past it, but what are some of the things that you're still doing or implementing that, uh, that you do uh, throughout this? So, but, uh, but today was uh, the, the, the interview that we did with Michael Dominichetti. Uh, he's, he's an amazing friend. He's a great friend of mine as well too, but uh, he's a realtor and investor, built his dream home. Uh, he, he does a lot of transactions and been in and around real estate for over 35 years, you know, with talking about his grandfather, his father, and uh, yeah, really, really a great interview with, uh, with Michael. And he shed some information on what new investors should be doing, some fundamentals and uh, yeah, really good chat. That's awesome. So let's, uh, let's bring on the interview. Let's uh, talk to Michael and uh, we'll come back. Welcome to, uh, to the podcast, Mr. Michael Dominichetti. Such a, such a pleasure to have you on uh, with Sarah and I today. How are you? I am fabulous. How are you folks doing tonight? Excellent. Excellent. Happy to have you on. I mean, we, uh, I think we've originally met at one of our live right clubs when we were first starting out. Yes, that, uh, that's going back a little ways. That's right. Yeah, you were, you were actually up on one of the panels and I, we had met a little bit earlier uh, through actually uh, Emil Jelnik. Shout out, Emil. Been on yes, Emil. And uh, you guys had put on uh, kind of an education class together for, for investors, for people looking to buy homes that I attended. You told a really great story and, and we connected because I think I was only one of three people in the room that could pronounce your last name because I understood how to stay in Italian, right? So, and you have a, yeah, amazing, amazing background. And now our realtor have worked on such developments, but for the people that uh, maybe didn't see you at the So Right Club when it was that, uh, and now the Right Club, but uh, why don't you give a little bit of a background, uh, your story, and uh, I know how you got into real estate for all those people that don't. Sure. So we were just talking about how I started real estate basically when I left the womb. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my dad got involved in real estate investing and actually my family, it goes back even further where my grandfather, when he landed in Hamilton, he had a boarding house and ran a boarding house for years. So that was my dad's exposure as a kid to investing in real estate. And when I was 10 years old, my dad started flipping houses and being my dad's little shadow. I would run home from school, wolf down some food, jump in the truck, and then we would get our hands dirty doing plumbing, wiring, all that kind of stuff. And then after he flipped a couple of houses, he started buying rental properties. And it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that we see talked about quite a bit now is the Burr strategy in investing in real estate. And my dad was doing that 35 years ago. He was buying these rundown properties in the North End of Hamilton, these triplexes, and going in there and gutting them, putting them back together, and then refinancing them and then going and buying another one. 
And by the time I got to high school, we had 14 doors that we were responsible for. Very cool. So walk us through your first investment on your own. Oh, first investment on my own. So I guess a couple of things happened sort of along the same time. Um, what happened when we started getting into flipping properties again, uh, I think part of it was both my parents were retired. My sister's kind of in the trades as well because she likes to paint houses and do that kind of stuff. And with me having my real estate license, it was a nice recipe for for all of us to come together as a family and keep doing these projects. So uh, actually when I met my wife, one of our first dates was to do tile in the bathroom of a house we were flipping. <laughs> that's how Love I knew she was. Flip. Is, is, that, is that a show? Love at first yeah. flip. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was what kind of sealed the deal for me with her. It's like, all right, she can do tile. All right, this is great. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Control the process, however, there. And that's what the amazing thing is. I know you used to be such a family man. You got two, two beautiful young girls and, and a lovely wife. And, and that's really that, you know, the passing that on, sharing that information that you learned from your father and, and even your grandfather in the boarding houses and how to do that. And you work with all different types of investors, even retail buyers, and you've had a long, long kind of established career. You know, what, what are some things that, you know, as even from an early age or things that your father instilled in you or things that you've learned in the market outside of that, that, you know, all investors really should know, or maybe one fundamental thing that you always kind of go back to when it's like, Hey, is this a good deal or not a good deal? Hmm. I know it's not an easy one, question. One fundamental thing out of so many. Um, I think it's keep it simple. I think the real magic sauce in this is, is making it simple enough so that it can be done easily. Uh, I find if it gets too complicated, then people lose momentum. They lose the steam. It's hard to communicate with others if it's complicated. So I think the more simple you can keep it, the more effective it will be. Great tip. So just out of curiosity, I mean, you've been investing now for 35 plus years. You've seen your shares of up and downs, market, you know, trends and and lots of, I'm sure, headaches, but also lots of positive. What, what does your portfolio consist of today? So right now I have my aunt living in the basement of my house. Because that was part of the deal when we decided to build our house. The only way that we could do it was to have a rental income in our own personal residence. So we've got that going on. And, and for the last probably 10 years, uh, all the projects that we've worked on, it's been flips. So we haven't, we don't have anything currently active right now. A um, couple of timing issues uh, as far as all that's concerned, because, you know, building my own personal dream house has chewed up a lot of resources. So uh, we're basically getting through that. And next year, my goal is to start doing the birth strategy uh, come January, February next year. Hopefully yeah. earlier because I'm a big fan of buying properties in the fall. Yeah, you know, actually between like October to February is where I found most of my deals in the yeah. past. Like there's a handful, like, you know, not in one of those months, but usually there's like estate sales or like some more motivated sellers during that time. Um, and, and this fall, it's going to be interesting. Like I think there's going to be some opportunity that we haven't seen for a while. Personally, that's what my take is um, with where we're headed potentially with, with the market downturn. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, to that point, I actually did an analysis because I have access to the information. 
information. Uh, I went back to the year 2000 and I looked every single month from the year 2000 up until today and looked at the average uh, list price, days on market, um, list to sale ratio, and I compared it month over month, year over year for a 20 year period. And what I found was almost without exception, if you want to buy a house and get the lowest average price, you're going to have a deal that closes in December or January. And then on the flip side of it, if you want to get the highest average sale price, then you're going to sell a house that's going to close in May or June. And kind of those, those markets kind of reflecting back year over year on, on when, when people are offloading or I guess it is a lot of people talk about the supply and, you know, in the market versus how many buyers are in the market. And I do think there's going to be a pent up demand as well, too, in terms of how many people actually want to make offers. But then the downside is who can qualify. Right. So, you know, there's a lot, lot. We always talk about, you know, taking action and, you know, and, and going out there and doing your research and looking back. And I know you're very analytical as well, too. And you share a lot of really good stuff on, on the Facebook page and, and uh, the, the areas in the, the, of expertise that you work in. But what are what are some things for those, you know, maybe newer or newish type investors um, that you think is like a good thing about investing? But it's also, you know, maybe a little bit challenging sometimes for investors. Yeah, I say this all the time with real estate investing is, you know, the beauty of it is that there's a hundred different ways to invest in real estate. You know, you've got flipping houses, you've got the Burr strategy, you've got the rent to own programs, you can do your own buy holds, you can do joint venture, you can do residential, commercial, industrial, like there are literally a hundred ways that you can invest in real estate, which is amazing. And one of the most difficult things is there's a hundred different ways to invest in real estate and it makes it overwhelming and confusing for people. It's the right? shiny, talk- shiny penny syndrome. You don't know where to start. You just have that analysis paralysis and then five, 10 years later, you're still analyzing. Yes. That, that happens a lot where, you know, they've got a buddy who flipped a house and made 50 grand. So that's awesome. And then you've got people that do RTOs and do great. And, oh, I should buy a commercial building because then you don't have to worry about tenants and the lease structure are different. Like you get pulled in so many different directions. You can't be an expert in any one of those areas. So it's, uh, it, it's the, the good and the bad of it. And I think focus can be a challenge for people in this industry. Absolutely. I do want to take a step back and talk about the, the property of your dreams that you've built. Can you tell us more about that? Oh my gosh, this is a crazy project. So we bought this house and it's on a half acre lot in the middle of Waterdown. And when we bought it, the house was pretty rough, like a little bungalow. And I saw the potential to either put an addition on the house or build a second story, whatever. And then my neighbor was able to sever off the corner of her property. So what happened was we bought it and we picked up the house that we were living in, the little bungalow, and moved it over to the vacant lot next door. And then we made a bunch of money off of that project, which helped pay for us to build the house that we built. Hold on, hold on. So, quick, quick time out. Like, it, it, like, you make it sound like four guys got together, case of beer, and we like moved it over. Like, what, like, structural foundation, how you put it on footings, all that, like, kind of give it like maybe a, how the heck do you pick up a house? And I know people have moved it. I've seen them on the road, but how do mm-hmm. you kind of overview and move that? 
It was surprisingly straightforward. We, uh, we had a house mover come in and in a period of about five days, they had lifted a house off the foundation with a truck and a winch, basically. Old school Egyptian method, they put, um, they hydraulically lifted the house up about eight inches. They dropped it onto steel girders and put in four inch steel tubes underneath. And he used the winch on his truck and literally pulled it off the foundation and then hooked up wheels on one side and his truck on the other and backed it up from one lot to the next. I've got it on video. It's an amazing thing to watch. That would be interesting. What's the cost of doing something like that? Uh, the physical move, like what we paid that guy was about 10 grand. What other then, costs are there other than that? Yeah. So we had to acquire the lot. We had to dig, put in the foundation and then run the services. We had to reconnect plumbing, HVAC, all the mechanical. Um, you know, I would say all told probably invested about a hundred thousand dollars into that project. So it's definitely a house flip of a different kind. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And you know, and I know you talked a lot about the, uh, the flip properties that you've done and you're pretty handy yourself in terms of uh, pretty mechanically inclined and, and maybe Sarah, you kind of get your opinion on this as well too. So I'm in the midst of, of kind of going through the, our first burr or my first burr strategy and, and kind of, you know, doing different renos and different things on how much do you knock a wall down? Do you not walk a wall down? Do you move things around and where do you invest? And I always ask that question of, you know, where's your best return? So when you're going through the construction on the house, what are the main things that you should take a look at? So, okay, that's where I'm going to get my greatest return. Is it kitchens? Is it bathrooms? Is it additional bedrooms? How do you go and assess that to say, if I have X amount of budget, I'm going to use most of it there. Hmm. Yeah, I always look for the major expenses. Roof, windows, and HVAC are usually the biggest ones to assess first. Um, and then beyond that, you can kind of gauge stuff out with some ballpark numbers. If you're going to be putting in, you know, a reasonable floor, you're looking at, you know, five to six dollars a foot and you start kind of building up those kinds of things. Where a lot of people get caught, and I had this happen to me a couple of years back, was the costs that are not necessarily associated to the renovation of the house, more to do with the carrying costs. And those are those sneaky costs that I think a lot of people don't know in advance or they don't assume correctly. And those are the ones that will erode your profits very, very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Holding costs are a big thing. And I think the other part of it is that there's a different type of reno that you're going to do for a property you're going to sell and flip or a property that you're going to rent based on where that Ooh, is. Yes. Too. So like when I'll look at a property, if it needs a roof, a furnace and brand new windows and has some foundation problems and or any combination of those, I probably won't even take it because I can't get my ARV out enough mm. versus doing kitchens and bathrooms, flooring, paints, light fixtures. I find for me, for, for the birth strategy, that's where I usually get my best ARV, my, you know, my best reno um, versus messing around with too many high ticket items all at once. But that may differ when you're selling a property and you're renovating to sell. What are your thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, I totally agree with that, Sarah. I think, you know, you can spend $30,000 in windows in a house 
and very quickly and you don't necessarily get that money back even dollar for dollar when it comes time to sell a house or have it appraised for the burr. Um, yeah, it's kind of nice and in the long run you're going to have better efficiency and heating and cooling the home and all those great things. As far as an investment to get a relatively quick return on, it's not going to be money well spent. Right. Where did you do more, most of your flips? I'd say 90% of those are in Hamilton. Okay. And who are you selling to? Like who was your target purchaser? You know, that's a really great question. And I think where another uh, potential sticking point and one of my three things when you're uh, flipping a house is start with the end in mind. Who is going to be your target buyer? right? You've got to figure out if 80% of the people moving into an area are young families and first-time buyers, then you don't want to put in the most expensive finishes because they probably can't afford it, right? So start with the end in mind and know who your ideal buyer is going to be and really gear it towards them. So, you know, we've done projects in Hamilton and we've done some projects in Burlington and they're very different projects. You know, the budgets have to be different. Even the timelines have to be different, which has an effect on your holding costs. Hey, Right Club Nation. We want to take a quick break from the podcast to introduce you to a longtime supporter of the Right Club and many members of the Right Club Nation, Mr. Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We as Elevation Realty are the sponsor for the real estate slot at the Right Club and we have been attending since the second Right Club. We are an investment focused, high volume real estate team serving the Golden Horseshoe from Oakville down to Niagara. If you are looking to increase your cash flows or you wanna find an incredible opportunity, we deal with builders, we deal with off-market opportunities as well as we get very creative and negotiate the best deal for even on-market opportunities. We've helped a number of clients with the Right Club find flips, single family rentals, duplex conversions, three and four unit renovations, all the way up to large residential buildings with high cash flow. A little bit about myself, if you haven't heard, personally, I've scaled over 300 doors in the last two years, which has given me a ton of experience in, in analyzing all the deals that may come across my desk for you. So if you're interested in learning more, please reach out to us at 905-592-4220, or you can email us at admin at elevationrealty.ca. That is admin at E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca. And let's sit down and create your investment dream portfolio. Guys, and I have to say, I stand behind Elevation and Dylan. They found me. My last few properties have done an amazing job. 100% recommend them. So thank you for all your hard work. Now, back to the podcast. And, and also, like, with, with the realtor background as well, too, and a lot of people kind of juggle back and forth, say, hey, should I leave my full-time job, also become a realtor as an investor or even a mortgage broker, and, and thinking about those types of things. Is there a huge advantage or, you know, for yourself working with, with many investors, you get to see these markets that have, you know, moved, gone up, down in different periods of time. Where do you foresee or like from a long-term hold perspective, um, like the properties are going to kind of follow the, that path of progress. So what, what are some strategies that the investors can look at or some key stats that they can use to make themselves comfortable before they take that action or, or you know, decide on making their, their first purchase or, you know, their long-time purchase? So uh, I guess there's a couple of questions in there. I'll start with the first one. <laughs> um, 
I started, the reason why I got my real estate license was because I wanted to flip more homes. And I thought getting my real estate license would give me the access to the information and uh, it did and it does. However, what also happened at the same time was I started talking to people about being a realtor and then I got so busy being a realtor, I didn't have time available to be able to flip the houses anymore the way that I was doing them. So I have to shift now if I'm going to continue doing that. I can't be on the tools and investing three or four months of my time into flipping a house while being a realtor and doing everything else. So you kind of you kind of have to pick your path and pick your lane and stay in your lane in my opinion if you want to really go far with what you're doing. So, you know, it's that whole jack of all trades, master of none and I think that that really does apply here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, think, I, I mean, you guys can attest to that too, I'm sure. I mean, could you imagine if you now had your real estate licenses and you had to invest, you know, 30, 40 hours a week because you've got clients that, you know, this house came on the market, so I need to see it tonight because there's going to go multiple. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? So for me personally, it's, it's just, I... I don't want another job. Like I'm doing real estate to, to free myself a little bit more, but I was thinking at one point, you know, the pros and cons and I was weighing them and they're going to be different for everybody. But can we actually talk about that? Because there's a lot of questions. I get that question all the time. I love real estate. Should I become a realtor? And you know, it is another J O B in a sense, like, yes, you're working for yourself or your the brokerage, but um, I guess you're, you're self-employed, but there is, there's definitely some good and then there's definitely some bad. And then there's also, uh, I mean, you're in a bit of a different situation. You're, you're an investor as well, but a lot of people are like, Oh sweet. I'm going to make like so much money. And then you look at the stats, the stats of realtors, like, and you, you probably know this more than me, but they're like astonishingly low. Like the average income of a realtor, like, what is it like 30 grand, 40 grand or something like crazy low. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I literally just ran those numbers yesterday for another project that I'm working on. And in our particular area, so the Hamilton Burlington area, uh, the average realtor in 2019 sold four homes. So that equals to 50 grand? About 50 grand. And then you have to pay your licensing every year, you've got to pay your RICO insurance every year. Now you've got to have like your car, your cell phone, your brokerage dues. Like you start putting all that stuff together, you're going to invest. Even if you go to a brokerage that offers like 100% commission and you pay a flat fee thing, like it's still going to cost you a couple thousand bucks. So like the honest truth of it is a lot of realtors are struggling and it's not an easy business to achieve a high level of success in. And it's expensive. Like just to hold your license for a year, it could cost you five to seven to ten thousand dollars, and that's before you actually sell a house. Yeah, and 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 back to your earlier point, right? Is that you know we we work with many realtors in the rent own program. A lot of realtors that are part of the Right Club and and that come out. But they're all there's all different. There's good. I don't say there's good and there's bad. There's different specialties, right? Where certain areas that you know some some people strive in and not and you have to again know who your target is the same way when you're selling your property you need to know who you're selling it is but if you're a realtor it's hard to be you know that master of all trades right and it's oh, for sure and i think i don't know if it, it might have been you we would have we might have said this to you you might have said this to me but it's like you can do you can do anything but you can't do everything 
right? And hmm. at least not not all at once, right? And um, so, like, the, the, the maybe some of the benefits, maybe the good things as a realtor that like that you can have, and maybe from the other perspective of, I, I know it's going to take time, it's another job, but again, with the systems, things that you can put in place potentially, you can you can develop that. But what are some good things of, from an investor hat, where even just working with a good realtor or being that? I think one of the tough things for me just because of the kind of person that I am is if, as an example, uh, I've got a client who's looking for a really great burr strategy for a house and I come across a really fantastic opportunity, I might be in a position to jump on that myself, but I'm going to call my client and say, Hey, I've got this really great opportunity for you. We should go take a look at it. And I will give my investors that I'm working with, first shot at doing that kind of a deal. And even with the residential clients that I work with, uh, I bought a house years ago and I actually showed it to two of my clients first before I bought it because I wanted, I wanted them to have the opportunity before I would take care of it. Now that's my own personal philosophy. Um, but I, I like to see, I figure I'm going to succeed through others. So I want to see them do well and I can figure out how to, do other stuff or buy another house or there'll be other, um, there's so many projects out there. I don't have to get in the way of somebody else being successful. Yeah, that's important. I mean, that's the integrity piece, right? Like as an investor, I like to work with realtors that have investment properties and that know the strategy that I'm going after. And that's, that's important. But the other pieces, I've got to trust them that they're not going to try to scoop up the deal. So I think, you know, that, that is something to, to really consider. Um, as, as investors that are building their teams. The, so the other pro that I can see, like you can let yourselves in at any time, right? So like if you see a property, you're like, oh sweet. And then you look at it quickly on your like backend system and you're like, I'm going to go check, take a look. You don't have to <laughs> wait for somebody else to have their schedule open up to go and see stuff. So I think that's cool. You can probably make some offers. Like you have the ability to, to, to potentially do some pocket deals or different things that I think come your way. The con side that I think, um, you know, the biggest, the biggest reason why I'm not a realtor is the time. So you're working, but you know, and I look at my own schedule and stuff and I'm like, well, is it really any different? I love, I love coaching. I love, you know, I love mentoring. I love my, doing my courses, but to be on the road evenings and weekends, cause essentially that's what it is. Yep. That's a, t that's a tough one. Like, because at any time you're like, you can't really make plans ahead of time. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct. I find, especially in the first couple of years when you're looking to build your business as a realtor, uh, you're so hungry and you want to always do the right thing for your clients and really get your business going into momentum. So you do whatever it takes to make the deals happen and take care of your clients. And I, I still do that today, right? Um, especially as the market shifts from buyer to seller and all that kind of stuff, it kind of changes priorities. You know, back in 2017 when the market was just ridiculous, it was, you know, oh my gosh, this house came on the market Tuesday at four o'clock. If we're not in it by Tuesday at eight o'clock, it's going to be sold. So you would call up your clients and say, meet me at the house in an hour. And you would show them one house and compete against six other offers and maybe you get it and maybe you don't. And then three days later you would do it all over again. So 
yes, it can be very difficult in that regard. And, you know, I've missed the occasional family event or I've had to put plans on hold because, you know, as the primary breadwinner for our family, uh, I have to sell houses in order to make money because I'm 100% commission based. And if I don't sell houses, then I can't pay the mortgage next month. So it, uh, it can put some pretty big pressure on your schedule and your priorities for sure. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, if it's like you said, you do enjoy or helping people, you want to get them either in their primary home, their next investment, their, their nest egg, right? That's a motivating thing. And that someone's on your side. And, and I think as, as we've gotten to, you know, know each other that, you know, that's that commitment that, you know, picking up a phone call or, or asking about info and, and you're so amazing with, with, with that. And you dig deep too into the stats. And I really love it when, you know, you, you've helped us with, with some rental properties as well too. And, it's somebody that's good that we always say you want to trust somebody that's on your side from different aspects of that understands you. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Michael. Yeah. Kind of circling back to Sarah's question about working with a realtor or a couple of realtors as an investor, I think is very beneficial as well, rather than being a realtor, because you do get spread pretty thin. And I'm also one person that has my book of contacts that I work with. I've got a group of investors that I work with and that's who I'm connected to. Um, as a individual investor, you could be working with five or six realtors that specialize in investment properties. And now you've basically taken the number of eyes that are looking for properties and you have this exponential effect to it because those four or five realtors are going to be talking to five or six people. So now you've got this almost like a sales team of 30 or 40 people that are looking for deals for you versus you doing it all by yourself. And I think that's where your business can really grow quickly and multiply. Absolutely. I'm, I'm big on working on the business, not in it. So having a team of realtors, like I'll have um, different realtors based on the regions, just because I, I really like to have local realtors as much as possible. They know the market really well. They can go and see places. Like I'm at the point where I don't really want to go and see a house. I just want, um, you know, my realtor to to know enough about what I'm looking for, go through it. And if it's good, let's throw in an offer. Let's make it conditional. And if we get it accepted, I'll go and see it with the inspector. Right. So that's how we bought our cottage. We bought a few houses that way. It saves it saves time. And you know, if it is a good deal, then that's, this is why I have good realtors on my team. Um, you know, like, like you, as an example, like you work with your clients, you know what they like, if it's good, you know how to run the numbers the same way that we would run the numbers just because we're also investors. So it's just easy to speak that same language. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, that's really important. I think one thing that I've learned kind of the hard way in this business too, is if you want to do it all yourself, you're going to put a pretty big lid on how far you can go with this. And that's what I talk about, you know, picking the path that you want to specialize in and then finding really amazing people to surround yourself with, which is exactly why I love the right club and what you guys are doing because the brain power in that room and the support in that room every month is incredible. So, you know, if you want to be an RTO guy, be an RTO guy and let everybody else worry about everything else, become really amazing and align yourself with the right people and you can do amazing things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wouldn't have been where I am today and did what I did. And I would not be successful if it wasn't for the team that I have in place. Cause we're only one person. Like there's no way that I could do everything myself. So this is the big piece. The, the biggest piece of success as an investor is finding and putting the right people on your team in the right spot. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of people, they get very fearful about getting started because they want to have all everything to be perfect and it's got to be a hundred percent before we pull the trigger. The reality I think is that's just not possible. You know, you've got to do the best that you can and sometimes you've got to pull the trigger and make some mistakes and learn from those mistakes and just keep moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, on that, on that note, I think, uh, I think we've gotten to the point of the podcast where we're going to do our lightning round. So uh, what oh do you boy. think, Michael? Are you ready? Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 m and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. So first question, um, first answer that comes to mind. So question number one, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? advice oh wow um keep it simple yeah definitely keep it simple don't overcomplicate it i like that i like that when when michael's kicking my butt on the uh, racquetball court he keeps it real simple and just puts him in the spots that it's impossible to hit so very simple but i like that that's good advice you don't overcomplicate. okay so question number two what is your favorite resource for for real estate investing. So it could be anything, a book, training, you know, a person, uh, any type of thing, a resource. I think one of the best resources, especially if you're getting into it and getting started, is the networking events. Just surrounding yourself with amazing people that are doing this. You know, don't start from ground zero. You don't have to. You know, there's more than enough proven methods to doing this. So find people that have done this. They've already plowed the road. And the best way to do that is to find really awesome groups of people like the right club and just talk to people and ask, what are you doing? How have you done it? Can I shadow you? Can I help you? What can I bring of value to you? And learn that way. You'll take 20 years of learning and compress it into six months to a year. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. Number three, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? I never give up. Nice. I never give up. So me building this custom house, we actually had the lot up for sale at one point in time and I was going to let it go. And then I woke up one day really pissed off at myself and I said, I haven't come this far to only come this far. We're doing this. I'm going to find a way. 
That's awesome. That relentlessness. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. So last question of the lightning round. What are you doing on a typical Sunday morning? Uh, Sunday morning is breakfast with the kids first. That's uh, sort of a sacred time for us and the family. Uh, occasionally, I might go for a bike ride with my buddies if the weather permits. So that's usually the Sunday morning. And then hopefully, uh, if the weather cooperates in the summer and we get through our current condition and we can go back to socializing, I will be at the racetrack driving my 900 horsepower drag car. Nice. Awesome. Michael, thanks for being on the show. If our listeners are right club nation wanted to reach out, where could they go? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find the uh, name Dominicetti. I'm the only one in Canada. So <laughs> you can either find me on Facebook or Google, uh, Michael Dominicetti or mdrealestategroup.com. Um, pretty easy to find. Awesome. And thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your insight, your knowledge, your experiences with us. Any, uh, any last words of advice or anything that you'd like the, uh, the Red Club Nation to know? Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, I love you guys. I love the right club. Whatever I can do to support you guys, I'm always going to be there to help. And I'm just very grateful that you guys have provided this opportunity and this platform for investors in the Southern Ontario area to get together. And uh, I just would encourage people that, you know, even if it's just an itch that you've got and you're trying to figure out what to make of all this, go to the meetings, check out the webinars, go to the podcasts you're going to just have such great information available to you and it will, it will definitely get you going in the right direction. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for your insights and thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it folks. Thanks so much. Thanks Michael. I love Michael. He's like so humble. He's so nice. Um, his like house that he took and he built and moved it over. That was a really cool that was like probably the first time I heard of somebody actually doing that. Yeah, um, definitely it, the first on the podcast. What's your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I, I love that. It's completely different. That was kind of cool on the process and doing that. But I, I circled and got it like starred on my page notes here is the, the sneaky costs, right? And, and uh, like I mentioned to you, Sarah's, you know, obviously we either, I know the rent to own space and really familiar and putting those deals together and, and working on a burr and, and finding that one in East Hamilton and going through that. It's exactly right. It's a great way to put it in those sneaky costs, like delivery of materials sometimes, right? You're like, what really costs that much? Or the carrying costs for an extra month, different things that you, you don't really you account for, but then they actually come, you know, come through, right? So those things that maybe you don't account for. And that was my biggest takeaway going through that. I know you've done the burrs and pretty much systematized what you're doing and, you know, different aspects of it. But uh, that was, that was kind of my takeaway. And, and like you said, a very calming, just humble, really, really good guy. Now really intense too. Cause like I said, he kicks my butt on the racquetball court, but, uh, but yeah, really, really calm, calming presence. Amazing. Well guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to leave a rating, a review, send us an email, Sarah at the right or Alfonso at the right and, uh, you know, thank you so much for tuning in again this week and listening to us talk about real estate investing for another week. What do we say, Alfonso? Absolutely. Thank you, Right Club Nation. Until next time. Come grow with us. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.